Welcome back, everyone. I am Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. In January of 1987, my life changed for the better. This is the story of our wedding. The music's playing softly in the summer night. Starlight's playing magic in your head. Just you and me surrounded by the city lights. It's got me feeling something special in the air. You know, I've said hello to you a hundred times. There comes a time you gotta take a chance. And even Chapter 34. Mary and I Wed Early in the spring of 1986, Mary came to me and told me it was time. We either became married, 
or we needed to split up. I was a bit surprised because we had only been dating just over a year. I felt, probably like many other men, a year is not a lot of time to entertain the thought of marriage. However, the deal was on the table. I needed to weigh my options, but the choice was not hard. I was living with an attractive and accomplished woman, who had held a strong sense of family just as I did. Mary's house and grounds offered my creativity an open palette. Currently, I was in the middle of building a walkway and deck system that ultimately extended around the house. I wanted to be able to walk around the outside of the house in my stocking feet without getting oak leaves and foxtails caught in my socks. Finally, the essential piece of knowledge pushing me to the proposal fell into place. Mary exhibited a mature, settled outlook. I was tired of going fishing and getting bit by the fish. Although, to be fair, I am a clumsy and ill-equipped fisherman. Nonetheless, I felt there were no surprises with Mary, and she carried little emotional baggage, I reasoned. She had no previous entangling relationships, and more importantly, she had no children from prior marriages. I never felt she would expect me to be someone I wasn't, that both she and I were set up to the task of creating a future life together. Deciding to stay, I knew I needed a marriage proposal, and I very much disliked the idea of an engagement ring. Whenever I saw a woman announce her engagement to the world, I felt the type and quality of ring were the real reasons for the proposal excitement. Now I realize how cynical an outlook that is, but that's what I felt about that stuff then. Probably this was the result of the embarrassment I garnered when I married Mel because it was so garishly ostentatious. It was as if the excitement of the ring was the guarantee of the couple's future happiness. I needed another idea. Luckily for me, Mary was open to a gift other than a wedding band. We shopped around and picked out an attractive piece of jewelry we both liked. By summer, I saved enough to purchase the gift. Mary was in Los Angeles to help promote the tourist industry of San Luis Obispo at a convention in the LA Civic Center. Explaining I was flying down to check out some veterinary equipment, I asked her to have dinner with me. She agreed, and I arranged for an outdoor meal on Olvera Street, the oldest part of Los Angeles. I suppose I had gotten the idea from Sunset Magazine. I flew to LA International Saturday afternoon and took a taxi to Olvera Street. I was pleased the place exuded the perfect nostalgic ambiance. Colorful piñatas, taco stands, and Mexican shops and restaurants stood on either side of the brick walkways. I contacted Mary and we met up for dinner. At the end of the meal, reaching behind me, I fished out a large jewelry container and opened it. Will you marry me? I asked her, displaying a beautiful pearl necklace. Yes. Mary agreed to marry me. We settled on January 16th of the next year, 1987, to become married. She wanted the wedding to be in Steamboat Springs. So four months after visiting Steamboat in the fall for the embryo transfer course, we flew back. We were getting married Friday, but went up four days early, so I could return to Fort Collins for continuing education. The 40th Annual Conference of the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association was to be held Monday through Thursday, and I wanted to attend some lectures. Because it was winter, we were able to book a direct ski flight from San Luis Obispo to Hayden, a small town with an airport a few miles from Steamboat. Although the terminal was small, the tarmac was lengthened to handle medium-sized jets for the type of ski flight we booked. The airport, called Yampa Valley Airport, was a driving distance of only 25 miles west of Steamboat. The flight was one of the most luxurious I had ever taken. There were only 8 or 10 passengers, and the fuselage wasn't laid out in the usual 3 or 4 seats abreast, row after row. 
Here they offered sizable first-class style chairs in pairs on each side of the jet, and large tables were comfortably accessible in front of the seats. The flight attendants gave everyone a pair of sunglasses, a tube of lip balm, and an open bottle of wine with wine glasses. It was a direct flight and one of my most memorable. The morning after we arrived, I again borrowed Ed's car to drive to Fort Collins, attending lectures on abdominal surgery in small animals, endocrinopathies in small animals, and feline infectious diseases. And I took classes on reptilian and avian medicine, because I just started working at our local zoo. I drove back to Steamboat through a cold, bright Wednesday night, looking forward to the festivities. The next day I went skiing with Joe and Rick, the male partners of the Leaner, Lunker, and Betsy show. Rick was a photographer who learned to ski backwards so he could take pictures of people on the hill. He posted the photos of skiers on a kiosk at the bottom of the mountain so they could see themselves and buy trophy pictures for their friends. This was long before cell phones and selfies. Skiing the Rocky Mountains around Steamboat was unlike any other skiing I've done. Martha and I spent a week in Utah at Park City, and I had spent many veterinary school days skiing at the Sierras in Heavenly Valley and Kirkwood. But the mountains of Steamboat dwarfed any other mountain I had skied on. At the top of the lift, the Yampa Valley floor and hillside stretched into the horizon. Covered white from snow and green from the conifers, the fall colors were long ago buried underneath a thick blanket of white. The mountains scraped the sky and the runs ran for miles. My legs ached from descending such long runs. I found I needed to stop often until the burning in my leg muscles subsided. We three boys returned to the hill the next day. The wedding was to be at 7 p.m., so I had time to put in another full day on the slopes. We finished about 4 and made it back to the house about 5. The wedding was in two hours. The tabletop was filling up with the usual accoutrements. Plates, flatware, and glasses, appetizer plates were laid out and the cake was on the kitchen countertop. Mary was in a slip fussing with her hair. When I went to tell her, I was hungry. Is there anything I can eat? I asked. Mary stopped working her hair and looked right at me for a moment. Her mouth opened a little. Then she turned to Joe and asked him if he would like to take care of me for a while. We went out for beer and hamburgers. Things were even busier in the house when I got back. People were arriving. I slipped into the bedroom to change into my suit and looked in the mirror to adjust my tie. Oh boy, my face was bright red from skiing the last two days. Oh well, I imagine such faces show up a lot around Steamboat in the winter, I was thinking to myself. Mary wanted to know if I needed a piece of paper to read when I recited my vows. I told her no, I would memorize the lines. I went over to a quiet corner of the room and sat at a desk. Mary had written the vows out for me on a piece of white cardboard that came with her pantyhose. I found some pieces of paper and proceeded to memorize the lines by writing them out. After some time, I was ready to recite the four vows. I crumbled my practice papers and tossed them in the trash can, folded the cardboard, and put it in my back pocket. I was ready. When the justice arrived, everyone shuffled into place, and Mary came out of the hallway. Oh, she was beautiful. Wearing a multi-layer lacy white dress and a large white flower in her curled hair. Joe and Rick were best man and bridesmaid. I was never sure who was the bridesmaid. The four of us gathered in a tight line in front of the fireplace, looking at the justice of the peace. Our group of friends filled the rest of the room. We exchanged vows. I think Mary went first. When it was my turn, I looked up at the justice, scanned the room filled with people, and promptly forgot my four lines. I was quiet for a second. 
Letting out a soft moan, I reached into my back pocket and pulled out the vows written on the pantyhose cardboard. I, Jim, take you, Mary, to be my wedded wife. I promise to be true to you always in sickness or in health, in poverty or in wealth, in my thoughts and in my words. I will be your lover and your best friend, for you are my favorite. I love you. We exchanged wedding rings. Clapping and partying began. Towards the end of the evening, Mary wanted to relax by going out on the town. Mary and I, Joe and Rick, and a handful of others went out into sub-zero weather to continue celebrating. I remember sitting in the tavern next to the red brick wall. The wall was cold. Outside it was 40 degrees below zero. The extreme coldness felt as if it were pressing against the wall and it was doing its best to penetrate into the building. The coldness seemed to be winning. Even with a packed crowd, the tavern heater was having a hard time keeping the cold at bay. Luckily for us, we had dressed appropriately, and we comfortably made our way around Steamboat Springs that evening of January 16, 1987. When we woke the next morning, Ed served us breakfast. Rick and Joe came over, and others dropped by as well. After lunch, we gathered our guests who had come from out of town and went out sightseeing. We took the main gondola to the top of the mountain, and I remember how cold it was. I used the gondola a few times during the last two days, but didn't remember it being so cold because I was so focused on where to ski next. What a difference between comfort and discomfort one perceives depending on the focus of the moment, I thought. Sunday morning we prepared for the flight home. After loading the many boxes of gifts into the car, we went back into the house to reminisce. We had about 30 minutes of quiet, reflective time before we needed to leave for Hayden. Ed grabbed his wife Mary from behind, hugging her. He gently wrestled her down in their hallway. I remember watching him behave similarly last fall. The whole family had come out to say goodbye when Ed was getting ready to drive us to Steamboat Airport. As Mary and I started hugging people, Ed grabbed his oldest son and wrestled him down to the grass on the lawn. Here were wonderfully endearing signs of affection, I thought. We went into the small hidden terminal with our tickets. This airport was simple. It had no carousels for baggage. A person came up with a cart to help transfer packages from the car to the plane. I suggested the fellow bring out two more carts because we had lots and lots of stuff. So many things, it all could not be loaded directly onto the plane. We brought so many pieces, they had to lay it out on the tarmac first. Soon the place looked like a swap meet was going on. I was embarrassed by our largest, but no one seemed to mind. Soon the multitude of packages was stowed, and Mary and I boarded the jet for home. On the flight back, I mentioned to Mary the affection I saw exhibited between Ed and his wife, and I thought it was a beautiful thing. Mary told me those two had had their hard times. Years ago, when Mary still lived in Steamboat, Ed lost his job as the manager at the Thunderhead due to corporate reorganization, and was left with the house payments and no money. He had also taken a girlfriend, and once Ed's wife found out, she kicked him out. But Ed regained his sensibilities, renting a room from his neighbor right next door to his house. That closeness was close enough for Ed's plan to work. After a period, they reunited. Ed also took on a job with a construction company and ended up doing exceptionally well. Once home, we made plans for a second party to celebrate the wedding with our local friends. Just a month ago, we had been at the business Christmas party sponsored by San Luis Farm Supply. They rented out a hall in Pismo Beach and it seemed perfect for our needs. So we put down a deposit and made plans. Mary wrote a poem for the invitation. 
She printed her poem on blue paper folded into quarters to allow it to fit in a letter-sized envelope. The front page said, Once upon a time, in a kingdom far away, Mary and Jim got married on a January day. Many of their friends could not travel to the feet, so they missed the celebration and were very sad indeed. Opening the invite, page on the left. So Jim said to Mary, when we get back to our home, let us throw a great big party to which everyone can come. So they rented out the garden in Pismo Beach on Pomeroy, and they hope you will attend to help them celebrate their joy. On the 21st of February, 1987, please join them for some good times and a little bit of heaven. Opening the invite, page on the right, where, when, bridal registry, contact numbers. Closing the invite, there is a page on the back that was a comic Mary added with a picture of a man and woman hugging. The woman. Oh, Jim, it's wonderful. I'm so glad we met. The man. Yes, Mary. Thanks to the New Times classified personals. Two weeks before February 21, the garden called Mary and told her they were going out of business. They needed to know where to return the deposit. Mary scrambled. People had been RSVPing for our event, and we had nowhere to steer them. Mary called John Katowicz, the fellow she and Melanie met when they moved to Creston. He was in the process of building his house. Typical of John's non-conforming style, his house was a geodesic dome home, and even though the walls did not have drywall on them yet, there was plenty of room for plenty of people. He was pleased to help, and now we were able to share our wedding with our closest neighbors and family. It turned out to be a great party. End of chapter. You are the one I am You feel my heart to overflowing And I We fit together like final wine and crystal glass. The seeds of love are buried in the sand. They grow and flourish sweetly on the vine. And while the grapes of love are growing, sure the sands of time are brown. And in the end they become Crystal glass and fine old wine You are the one, I am the glass You fill my heart to overflowing And I know, darling, without knowing We fit together like fine old wine and crystal glass we fit together like final wine and crystal glass And so you see, our love has always been there Though we have grown in a different space and time And from the moment when I felt your kiss Sweet against my lips The love surrounds us like a poem with its rhythm and its rhyme 
Thank you all for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website. J-E-A-D-V-M dot com.